0: Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching
1: you. Tired of companies like Google and Facebook watching everything you do online? There's actually a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more. All for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Hello everyone, this is Rosie Tran, and welcome to Stupid Sexy Privacy, a Weiwo.tv special report sponsored by our friends at DuckDuckGo. You may have heard my voice at the end of every episode on Weiwo.tv. I'm the one asking you to leave a review. Which by the way, I hope you've done, right? You've left us a review? Okay, great. Unless you're lying. Well, I'm a lot more than a voice. I'm also Weiwo.tv's Intrepid Reporter, and over the course of this mini-series, I'm going to share with you short, actionable tips you can use to protect your privacy. These tips were sourced by our fearless leader, he really hates when we call him that, BJ Mendelssohn. BJ, for those of you who may not know, is the author of the book Privacy and How We Get It Back, a book that was published in the before times. This means before COVID. BJ is currently writing a sequel called How to Protect Yourself from Fascists and Weirdos. So everything we're going to hear in this miniseries is the most up-to-date information he's researched, bringing us into 2023 and beyond.
0: As a bonus episode for our listeners, here's BJ's interview with Dr. John Gartner. Uh, Dr. Gardner, thank you so much for joining me today. Would you be so kind as to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your work?
2: So my name is Dr. John Gartner. I didn't specialize in authoritarianism uh, or any of these related matters until Donald Trump came along. What I did specialize in was severe personality disorders. And I was originally trained by someone named Otto Kernberg, who uh, really is the most famous living uh, person in the area of malignant narcissism. And malignant narcissism is a personality disorder that isn't that familiar to most people. It's not in the DSM. It was actually introduced by Eric Fromm, who himself was a refugee from the Nazis, uh, to explain the psychology of Hitler. And Mussolini and other um, authoritarian demagogues uh, throughout history. And it has really four components. Uh, Narcissism, of course. Um, I don't need, need to justify that one. But also the other three components are paranoia. So feeling like a perpetual victim, uh, believing in crazy conspiracy theories, demonizing uh, opponents or minorities. Uh, so that's the the paranoia component. The other component is antisocial personality disorder or being a psychopath. So having no moral center, uh, actually lying, perpetually lying, stealing, exploiting uh, and fooling other people for for personal benefit. And the fourth component is sadism. So sadism is really taking pleasure in harming other people, degrading other people, tricking other people, stealing from them, uh, what have you. So when you put those four components together, what you've really done is psychiatrically defined evil. Uh, <laughs> right, right, yeah. And he and and so, uh, you know, we don't want to stigmatize the mentally ill, but this is one diagnosis we can stigmatize (laughs) because he's truly a bad person. (laughs) Well, I was going to say, because of my expertise in this area, I recognized very early that he was just how dangerous a threat he was, that this was the real thing. He wasn't going to pivot and become presidential. It wasn't an act that this was a mortal threat to the country. And I saw that in 2015. Uh, so we started our movement really just as soon as he was inaugurated, basically. Um, and um, uh, I actually just read the New York Times uh, today, it wasn't the article today, but someone brought to my attention, that apparently Chief of Staff Kelly read our book. Uh, he, he bought it secretly. Nice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's a dangerous case of Donald Trump. He bought it secretly and then told other people that it helped him understand Trump. So I guess in that sense, Maybe mission accomplished. I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I think we all would have preferred the Twenty Fifth Amendment was used much, much sooner. Um, yes, yes, as absolutely. opposed to not use at all, which is what we got. Uh, right. Tell me what what first got him Trump on your radar screen. I'm curious just about the trajectory from your work to Trumpism, and then uh, to where where it coincides with my research is with, you know the online.
2: Uh, Mm -hmm. behavior
0: of individuals who are following Trump?
2: Well, I, I mean, he just displays all the behaviors. They're not subtle. (laughs) <laughs> right. yeah, you know, so lying, stealing, cheating, <laughs> abusing minorities, right? Come, He came down the escalator and said, you know, Mexicans were rapists. I mean, you know, really from the get-go, right? right. And that's kind of was sort of the gaslighting component of all this, right? That we were saying over and over again that he was dangerously mentally ill, that he should be removed under the 25th Amendment. And really anyone, it, it's sort of like the emperor's new clothes, right? A child could point to him and say, wait a minute, there's something wrong with him. Yes. A- and really that is the reason that our book was a bestseller. I'd like to say it's because we were so brilliant, but I really think it's because we we really addressed a massive vacuum, a massive gap. It's like everyone on planet Earth was going, "What the f is wrong with this guy?" <laughs> <laughs> but because of the gag rule uh, the, the, in our field, uh, a little inside baseball, with this thing called the Goldwater Rule that says you're not supposed to make comments on public figures you haven't personally examined without their permission, uh, it, we were b- a fit. We were uh, breaking the rules by telling the truth. And and so that's the reason that the book was... It was an edited book. I mean, if, if you've ever published anything and you're an academic, right? Yes. In your entire career as an academic, have you ever seen an edited book make the New York Times bestseller list?
0: It's rare. It's incredibly rare.
2: Incredibly rare. I can't think of another example. I mean, I'm 64 right. years old. I've been reading the New York <laughs> Times for a while. I'm sure it happened, but I don't remember it. Not often. Uh, Not often at all. Yeah. And, and and it's because it really addressed this gap that people were wondering about the kind of questions that you're you're writing about. Then I I think what's happened now is a movement has formed around him, a cult movement, right? hes And this is the classic demagogue uh, kind of pattern that we see in other countries throughout history. And what's happened is people who are inclined to be authoritarian or to be attracted to an authoritarian figure uh, are energized by a figure like this. And he actually... Unleashes them or gives them permission to um, basically do things that would otherwise be considered totally unacceptable and antisocial, right? Uh, I mean, it's like before Hitler, no one was just killing Jews because they felt like it, right? You go to jail for that. You might not <laughs> like Jews or whatever. No one was killing them. You, not allowed. Not a thing, right? <laughs> and right. then after that, you know, it was uh, it was it was the standard operating procedure. That's a shift. That's a shift. And even though you can say Yes, they were anti-Semitic, and he just uh, kind of un- un- uncovered that, or, or unleashed that, or in- energized that. There's a chemical reaction here, yes. right? That's different. Okay, Germany, however anti-Semitic it was before Hitler, was not the same country as Germany after Hitler. Right? right. It's a transformation. He's a catalyst that actually produces a new, a, a new creature, uh, and that's what we're seeing happening now in the Republican Party, where. The Republican Party is embracing political violence, yes. right? I mean, George Bush didn't embrace political violence. <laughs> we may have not liked right. George Bush, we may have thought he was in league with whomever, or thought he was corrupt, but but he, but he wasn't endorsing political violence. Right. You know, he wasn't pushing the big lie. Uh, he wasn't uh, an authoritarian. Uh, and so w- when these movements become authoritarian, it's because there is a demagogue who is inspiring them, but also engaging with them in a way to create a new entity, which is this MAGA movement or yes. the Nazi movement. Uh, and now you have basically – in a way what has happened is you could say that he's unleashed what's inside of them, but I think there's also another in which he's kind of imprinted his DNA on them. I sometimes think of it as sort of being like a cancer cell, you know, that a cancer cell starts to mutate when when it's mutated and then it starts to grow, but it also invades other cells' DNA and gets them to grow and mutate according to its specifications or its now damaged or changed DNA. So now the DNA of the Republican Party is to cheat, to lie, you know, to steal elections, political violence, you know. All of that is 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 real, as bad as they were. <laughs> this is yes. a change. This is a, a transformation. It's poor and, and gasoline. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so, sure. No, no, go let ahead. me
0: just. I just want to steer. I just want to ask real quick before we, for people that are listening at home, who yeah. might be thinking of the theory that one person can't change anything. That you know, there's the the great the history. Uh, I'm sorry, the great man theory of history, right? right? Like mm-hmm. the one person versus what you might encounter um, in other programs where we we tend to focus on groups or, or history happening in the margins and spreading. Uh, but so from your research, it sounds like what you're saying is that one person can have this disastrous yeah. negative effect. Would you Is that
2: true? Yes, yes. I, I, we have to come up with a negative version of the great man theory. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> the bad man. But
0: it seems like you've confirmed th- this this theory, right? Of like this one person can have a seismic shift. On populations, on governments, uh, for better or worse, well, there's, we've seen there's worse. many
2: historical examples. I mean, I mean, you know, you can look at Yugoslavia, you yes. know uh, right, Yugoslavia, whatever, there may have been some ethnic tensions, but all the ethnic groups live together, and then the Lulosshevich comes along, and now they're just killing Muslims in the street. I mean, that's a change. Right. <laughs> that, right if you're one of the people being killed you definitely recognize this is a change <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely right
0: right yeah I, I mean that's the thing is we all often think about it from like the victim's perspective right like it's it's easy for us to kind of sit back and be like oh the republicans are crazy but there, there's a real human toll that, that's that's been we see it right now with with what's happening with, with florida and arizona yep that's um, a, sending people across country. Yeah.
2: Uh,
0: let me oh, let me ask you because the thing that I want to hone in on a a bit. Um, A person seems to be rational and smart and kind, but there seems to be something that happens when you've got people in a Mm. group, and that in that group encounters someone like a Trump. Can you tell me a little bit, or can you tell us a little bit about like what's happening? There is a biochemical reaction, but could you just tell us a little bit? Well, I have a
2: theory. It's a little bit uh, out there. (laughs) But I have to go all the way back to the chimpanzees (laughs) before humanity existed. (laughs) Um, So chimpanzees, you know, are are very gentle, relatively gentle animals. And they have these very sensitive emotions and these touching kind of family groups. And um, uh, I'm blocking out her name now. I'm having a tip of the tongue, you know. um, Jane Goodall. Thank you, Jane Goodall, who lived with them. You know, had this wonderful human human moments with them. Uh, But of course, the males would compete for dominance, right? And so they would beat their chest, and they would throw dirt up in the air, and heave heavy rocks to show how vigorous they were. And it's called display behavior. And the reason it's called display behavior is nobody actually gets hurt. (laughs) They're all just showing how vigorous they're. (laughs) Right, like a very good analogy. (laughs) So, uh, uh, so, 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 it's uh, all about posturing, really. And then, you know, and there's actually a lot of competition. That's it's sort of fluid; it changes. There's coalitions. It's interesting. But after Jane Goodall retired, that troop got so big that it split into two troops. Now, everything Jane Goodall had observed was within group behavior. OK, now there's two groups. Now the people who came in after her, um, a, a guy from Harvard named Rangham and then uh, 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 they watched that things changed, that the way they treated the out group was different than the way they treated people within the group. And that what would happen is one alpha male would get hyper excited okay, and start whipping the other males into a frenzy. And they would follow him to the edge of the other uh, territory, of the other group, and they would systematically beat to death every male that they found until they were able to absorb the other troops, females and territory. So basically, uh, my my view is that this is sort of the hypomanic. I wrote a book about hypomania called The Hypomanic. He's the hypomanic leader, the guy who got (laughs) them all excited, right, to go expand their territory. Um, But... That's the group that got, whose DNA went on. Yes. Okay, so if you've got, if you've got a, 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 an evil leader like that, your DNA will survive. And if you don't, you won't. And that's why I think that gene has always stayed in the gene pool. Um, so, but there's also a deep, I think, programming that says, basically, if your group is under threat, and that means you could be annihilated, you need a strong leader to kill the other side, to lead you into battle against the other side. And it's a matter of survival. And what demagogues do is they tap into that primitive programming so that it's so that these people now feel like they're under threat, they're under attack. The only way to save themselves, to save their culture, to save their country is to fight. And it doesn't matter if their leader is an asshole, right? (laughs) I mean, it's like if, if there was an intruder threatening to kill my family and some guy or offered to protect me with a gun and say, well, you know, you're not really the kind of guy. <laughs> I re- yeah, no, That's I don't right. care yeah. anything about you. I don't care anything bad about you. If you're going to save my family from those bad people, you could be the worst person in the world. I will follow you.
1: I'm a Facebook hipster. I then deleted my Facebook account and then re-upped it in 2005 and have not been able to get off the stupid thing since. So. so why can't you get off? So wh- <laughs> what are your <laughs> you guys?
2: The award-winning Smashing Security podcast, hosted by Graham Cluley and Carol Terrio each week, it takes an irreverent look at cybersecurity and online privacy, helping you find out what's happening with your data. Find it in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Spotify, and all good podcast apps, or at SmashingSecurity.com. It's not all filth.
0: I think that's so important, because i, I, I I've run into this all the time where I'll explain why the Republicans are doing X, Y, Z, and they'll say, well, why, why are they doing that? It doesn't make any logical sense. And I keep going back to, it doesn't matter. It's because that's what the leader told them. Like, that's what Trump told them. That's what DeSantis told them. So they're just kind of going along with it. Let me, let me ask you about the implications of So this is a book ostensibly about privacy, right? And the anonymity on the internet, how Mm. does anonymity exasperate this problem?
2: Well, I'm glad you're writing about the social media component because it's extremely important. Uh, I think that we've really discovered that people are much more vulnerable to propaganda and brainwashing than we ever, ever even imagined. It's really shocking, right? People, and you know people and I know people who are relatively intelligent, relatively moral, who believe all this shit. Yes, you, you know, and actually, I go back to my first job out of college. I worked for a market research company as a coder, and, and, and so they would interview people, and they get and they gave them some Tropicana orange juice to sip, and they said, "You can say whatever you want about it." So it's not a forced choice; it's an open-ended question. So, what do you think? The most common answer was, "It tastes like fresh squeezed." <laughs> right. <laughs> well, if you you may not be old enough to remember the Tropicana ads, but that was what they always said: "Tastes like fresh squeezed." Tastes like fresh. There is absolutely no way Tropicana tastes anything like fresh squeeze. It just doesn't. It's just a fact that it doesn't. (laughs) And they could have said anything.
0: This is a known phenomenon too, where when you do surveys and marketing, people are more likely to tell you the answer that they think will please you as opposed well, to what they're, th- that, what they're doing. I'm thinking. sure that
2: might've been a factor too, but I think if you hear things enough, you start to believe it's true. Yes, uh, And they just heard it so many times. And, and another example of how people's basic reality testing is so vulnerable is the famous Ash experiment. You know, after World War II, psychologists tried to understand how people could be so easily brainwashed. It became like the, the central question. So we have a series of famous experiments that took place at that time, you know, the Milgram experiment and what. And the Ash experiment was, they bring, first they bring, in the first condition, they bring undergraduates into a room in the basement of the psychology department, and they show them three lines, and one is clearly longer than the other. And they say, which line is longer? And they get 100% correct. No one ever fails the test, ever. <laughs> okay, then they bring them in with two other students who are really confederates, and the confederates go, oh, absolutely not. No, that's the <laughs> bottom line. Are you crazy? Is that?" And a third of the people change their answers. Right. I mean, it right. really is like that joke. Who are you going to believe? You know, the guy who finds his wife in bed with a, the golf pro and, the, and she says, look, who are you going to believe me or your lying eyes? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's sort of like
0: when you when we think about the election totals, there's always going to be that 30 yeah. percent that consistently seems to show up for whoever the, the Republican candidate is, no matter how awful they are, like we've seen consistently. Right. Um, do you. How do we how do we get past that? So the thing I heard to get to your
2: point about anonymity, uh, because right, because uh, then now on social media, you think you're having engagements with people, with having social engagements with people you you know or friends or now we're discovering a lot of these are Russian bots. Yes, you know, and and that was a huge game changer for the 2016 election. Absolutely shifted the election because you thought these were peers. Okay. And actually it was, it was Vladimir Putin uh, sure. who was making all these comments. Uh, and, you know, and uh, we have a very active Twitter account, duty to warn does. And it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just purging bots every day. Now, maybe some of them, I, I can't always tell the difference between a real MAGA supporter and a Russian bot, but some, there are certain little, little clues you begin to, as a connoisseur, you know, you begin right. to sus- yeah. suspect that this, one. Um, but, but, but the point is, is, is the fact that the anonymity online allows them to create the the impression that there's this wave of peers who are, remember, just took two people in the Ash experiment, right? Two idiots sitting next to you to tell you the line you're looking at with your very own eyes is not longer, right? And a third of them change their answer. Well, imagine if you're on social media and all these people are reinforcing your beliefs, Uh, of course we're vulnerable. Uh, and so, and the problem now is, uh, that there's enough, uh, right-wing control of the media that we can create these huge bubbles. You know, it used to be to convert someone, if you want to make someone to join your cult, right, like a Mooney or whatever, you used to have to get them into the cult camp, right? Right. (laughs) You have to get them in in the door and then you don't let them leave. No, no, you can't leave today. That's such an important lecture. I really, you know, and, and you kind of befriend them and, now you can do it remotely. You know, you don't even have to get them in the cold camp, just get them in front of a TV or a computer or a phone. Uh, and they will hear the, the false Russian message being reinforced on Fox. Now, tragically, CNN has yeah, been taken CBS over. News. Uh, so we've got uh, Malone, who owns, um, uh, who owns Liberty Media, is on the board of the company that bought CNN, and suddenly now they're very interested in Hunter Biden's laptop. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they've totally shifted their their coverage. And one of the things that I was fighting against was Elon Musk buying Twitter. I yes. mean, uh, if you if if you if you search our account, you'll find like 500 anti-Elon Musk. <laughs> <laughs> like, right. like it was like 20 times a day I was screaming, you know, yes. because if I, I knew that it would be a game changer. Look what happened with Facebook, right? Just the fact that they were Russia-friendly on Facebook through the whole election. Twitter is one of the last places you can go uh, and hear the truth, <laughs> even though right. it's mixed up with all kinds of Michigas. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I was gonna say I have, I have. So we I talked to a couple of researchers, and one of them had had said that there was one gentleman on Twitter who had like multiple burner phones and multiple burner accounts that was essentially astroturfing and then going after her. And this one guy had the ripple effect of sending legions of people who were in that MAGA bubble after her as well. And I think it's important to to stress that so many of these accounts are fake or bots. Are part of an astroturfing campaign. And Twitter, I mean, we see that right now with the whistleblower complaint. I wrote about it back in 2012 uh, in my first book that, that the majority of these accounts are not real. You know, like, you know, only 16% of Americans active, act, actually use Twitter. And of that 16%, you know, far fewer of them are actively logging in every
2: day. Well, you point out another point. This is like the political violence component. This doxing of people, yes. you know, you know, it's another way of bullying people. You know, it's like the brown shirts that broke up the rallies of the opposing. Yes. it's doing it online, and uh, I experienced it in a, in a in a way when I was working on duty to warn. You know, I kind of put my practice a little to the side because I was so focused on the mission, and I noticed my my my. my um, Census of patients was sort of gradually going down. At first it was like, you know, that's a good thing. I'm so busy with all my activism. I you know, then right. it went down a little more. It's like, oh, that's a and then it went down even more. It's like, I'm getting worried. I mean, I'm getting pain. And and then someone said some someone came to my office. He said, you know, I normally wouldn't have made this appointment. I said, Well, why is that? He said, Well, I normally wouldn't see a doctor with a two star rating. Uh, <laughs> but I read your book and I th- I said, wait a minute. <laughs> right. Yeah,
0: they've weaponed that they've they've successfully whether they being conservatives or russians uh have weaponized all of these platforms in a way to bully and silence but people particularly women and, and particularly people of color they they've made it so that you're afraid i mean there's a book right here uh from nina uh Jankowicz, who's going to be a guest on the show as well uh called how to be a woman online and the, and the whole thing is about mm. this this act of bullying uh and harassment to silence dissent. let me but let me ask you real quick um, there's a, the idea to deprogram people is essentially, uh, I keep hearing the analogy of the fly in a bottle, right? The fly doesn't know it's in a bottle, but if you open it up and you gently let me the fly out, the fly can escape. Do you, do you think that that might be true or what's, what would be your
2: recommendation? I think the only way for us to deprogram people that, or who are deprogrammable, <laughs> right. um, is complete and total unqualified defeat of the other side. We must literally smash them with a 9,000 pound weight till they are dead and flattened and gone, okay? It can't be, there's no accommodation, there's no, uh, we're not gonna come to a deal. We must defeat them like we defeated Hitler, like we defeated the Confederacy. It must be a complete victory, an unconditional surrender Okay, and only then can you have the Marshall Plan. Only then can you have the Gettysburg Address. Only after complete and total victory.
1: This is Rosie Tran from Rosie and BJ Save the World, a podcast asking big questions and discussing how to solve these big issues. This is a podcast for people just like you who ask, has the war on drugs been successful? Do we need universal basic income? Should we legalize sex work? Go to com to get more confused.
0: Yeah, I, it's something I fully agree with. There's there's a great book out uh, called How Civil Wars Start. Uh, I forget her name, but also another fellow academic. Uh, and her argument is that essentially the United States has all of the warning lights that are flashing um, for us to enter into not a civil war like what we had, but something more like what the troubles looked like in Northern Ireland, where you have political violence, where you have uh, these random acts of extremist uh, white supremacy, white supremacist violence in the United States. Uh, Let me, let me ask you what, what other solutions do you think there might be to, so smashing them? Yeah,
2: yeah. So, so, other than smashing, yes, is is to take control, uh, take control back of the media. You know, we used to have something called the Fairness Act. You know, I'm old enough to remember when ABC, NBC, CBS, and PBS were the only news sources on TV. It was an hour a night, and they were as dry as a bone right uh you know the the, no bias no 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 hyperbole uh right just the facts ma'am just the facts you know uh and so the whole concept of fox from the beginning was to be a propaganda channel that was what they that was their roger ailes vision um but we used to have something called the fairness act where if you if if you said something on tv in the news that's not true that's provably false you could lose your broadcast license we actually let that sunset or we repealed that Uh, we need to bring it back and we also need to apply it to social media. Uh, we, social medias are, they're, they're publishers. Okay. Yes. And so we need to hold them accountable for um, maintaining uh, uh, the truth. Uh, I mean, I've obviously individuals are going to say what they're going to say, but they have to exercise some editorial um, responsibility for what the messages that get put out on their um, uh, platforms. And, you know, ironically it's the conservatives who are screaming about the bias uh you know yes. in the in the media you know we we have to step up you know and we have to step up and take some control of this out of control media situation. It needs to be regulated. That's right, folks. The nanny state has got to come in here and restrict your fucking freedom of speech. You don't like it, fuck you. <laughs>
0: right. I mean, that's what I've been saying about Tucker Carlson. I, you know, if, if the Department of Homeland Security, which they have, has actively said we are in a clear and imminent threat of white supremacist violence, then that meets that Brandenburg threshold where Tucker Carlson no longer gets free speech Uh, quality because he's he's inciting he's contributing to a state of potential violence Uh, so I agree with you I I, you know I feel like the regulation if you are contributing to violence or the perpetuation of a environment of violence which is what Department of Homeland Security has said uh, you should be kicked off the air Uh, but let me is there anything that I didn't ask you in our time that that you think you would did you like to bring up um, as it relates to this, this authoritarian streak about Trump uh, in general?
2: Well, I, I think you're on a good track with your book. I think it's going to be helpful. And I hope that uh, um, the powers that be will will read it. Uh, because uh, to do nothing is really just a kind of a slow slide towards authoritarianism. Yes. Uh, and I think, you know, one of the things that frustrates me about our people, about the Democrats, is just how unassertive they are. You know, if we were screaming with as much force about the bias of the media and, and and as ready to do something about it as the other side is, right, we might get somewhere. But instead, you know, we, we're very milk toast and we don't want to offend anyone or, you know, be accused, or it's all afraid of being accused, right, of doing the wrong thing and we're doing the right thing that we don't do the right thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it
0: reminds <laughs> me of, you know, there's that, um, it's called the shared, uh, I'm sorry, it's called the tall poppy syndrome. In Europe, but it has different names around the globe, is that people don't, rational people don't want to stick their head out, mm-hmm. right? Unless they've seen it be it's sort of like what we've been talking about. Unless two or three jokers come along and say, yeah, you should stand up. We're, we're not going to do it because we don't want to stick our heads up uh, and get cut down from X, Y, and Z. Uh Let me, let me just ask you just a uh, last question for you. Sure. How do we... How do we encourage people? Is there anything on the psychological front that could be mm-hmm. useful to encourage people to stand up and use their voice? Is there anything that the other side has done that could be used for good, if that makes sense? So, for example, did the, the, the authoritarian tactics of Trump, is there any way that that is, is there any kernel in there that could be used for good?
2: Well, it's a great motivator for our base. I, I mean, I don't think anyone's done as much to motivate Democratic voters than uh, the Supreme Court, yes, right, <laughs> or right. the Republicans. I mean, you know, whatever, you know, it was like, uh, what is it? The rumors of my death are greatly exaggerated. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> already reading our obituary, you know, but, you know, the, the Republicans just keep on crying and eventually, you know, they piss people off, even even us mild lookers, they eventually piss us off enough that like we're energized, we're engaged. Uh so they've pushed us around enough, uh, hopefully that uh we will uh fight back against the bully.
0: Yes. That's like I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Uh (laughs) me where where can we find you online? Where can we buy the book? Because I want to make sure everyone um, listens
2: we're very active on Twitter, duty to warn. Uh, so if you want to get your, you know, venom out about all the bad things that are happening, <laughs> doom scrolling, <laughs> we're we're screaming every day.
0: <laughs> Perfect. There needs to be more of us. There needs to be more of us doing it. Uh,
1: thank you so much. Most things people hate about the internet comes from a lack of privacy, like those creepy ads that make you think your phone is listening to you. DuckDuckGo is an all-in-one privacy app that can help you with that. It's your internet browser with private search, tracking blocker, encryption, and even built-in email protection, all for free. Just go to DuckDuckGo.com to learn more. DuckDuckGo, privacy simplified. Thank you for listening to Stupid Sexy Privacy, a Weiwo.tv special report. I'm your host, Rosie Tran. Today's episode was written by B.J. Mendelson, produced by Andrew Van Voorhis, and sponsored by DuckDuckGo. Due to the overwhelming demand for privacy audits, we want to make a quick announcement before we go. Doing one-on-one privacy audits is super time-consuming. This means BJ has less time to write these episodes and the new book, How to Protect Yourself from Fascists and Weirdos. So, along with his co-author, Amanda King, BJ is currently putting together an online course called Stupid Sexy Privacy, which you'll be able to purchase here at stupidsexyprivacy.com. The course will walk you through every privacy tactic discussed in today's episode in greater detail. If you'd like to know when the course becomes available, you can email BJ at BJMendelson at duck.com. The email address again is BJMendelson at duck.com. And we'll see you next time, right?